We're back to the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Education Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google+. Final day in April. I can't believe it's going to be May tomorrow, and I was wearing a coat last week, so hopefully that won't happen. And my guest, I, he knows about a beautiful place where he's calling from right now, but I'm excited to welcome the program, NBA legend. Arizona State Hall of Famer, Alton Lister. Alton, thanks for calling, and how are you? Hey, man. I Hey, if I was doing any better, they probably think it would be illegal. <laughs> it is. Hey, I'm in San Diego, California. It is about 75 degrees, uh, and it's such sunny day. You know, this is just one of the most beautiful places in the world. Well, and I remember going to La Jolla and then San Diego and went to Mass, Sunday Mass, and it was up in the hill in San Diego, and it was so gorgeous. And you're right, it's such a beautiful place. And for the Chargers to consider leaving San Diego, what a crying shame for sure if that yeah, happens. That, yeah, exactly. So everybody is trying to just sitting at the edge of the seat trying to see what the decision is going to be made on that whole situation. So that will be a very interesting topic when and if it happens. Exactly, for sure. All right, so let's kind of uh, go into your career. Uh, again, you're a little bit taller than me, Alton. By the way, I'm six foot ten, and you're seven feet. And uh, when you were growing up, did everyone say, hey, he should be a basketball player? Was it just something that came to you, or did people ask you with that height, being so tall? Well, i tell you, when I was growing up, I was extremely shy and uh, felt very uncomfortable with my size, my height, the whole, all the dynamics of being tall. And then it, it seemed like uh, that's all I, the question that was asked of me is, how tall are you? And I was young, so I really didn't know how to, you know, navigate through that. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I got, and it's still today. I mean, it's not one day someone has asked me, how tall am I, or, you know, am I a former NBA player? And the fortunate thing is I haven't gained a lot of weight. Okay. And actually I've lost weight since my playing days. So I still look like I can play. So, I mean, it, it's amazing how people still come up to me and, and you know, and ask me am I either if I play or if I was a former <laughs> NBA player. So it, it, it's a good thing. I, I keep it all positive. Exactly, Alton. And so basically, uh, through that time, uh, did you just kind of flock to basketball and say, I'm going to play this sport? Or was it something that people kind of uh, pushed you into it saying, you're this tall, you have to play? Well, I tell you, uh, I, I tried. I, I was extremely tall. I, I um, Actually, I got cut in the eighth grade. Oh, my. And then I changed. Yeah. And then I changed professions. I went to be uh, I was gonna thought I was gonna be the tallest trombone player, uh, you know, in the history. I, when my freshman year, I was in a band, and uh, the marching band, and so I tried that for a while, and liked it. And then my brother, who was was one of my biggest idols, uh, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he was a guy that I looked up to. My my brother played high school basketball, college. He got drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he had a long career overseas. Right. So I kind of, uh, you know, was 
kind of looking at his situation, thinking, hey, that might be a possibility. But I hadn't developed. I was a late bloomer. I was just extremely tall and, and extremely thin. And, and so I struggled with it uh, for a while. And then once I started getting into organized basketball, you know, I started to come into my own. And that's really good for a lot of guys that are that tall to not start playing the game so early because your body's still growing and you're trying to catch up to things. I didn't start playing uh, basketball till like the fifth or sixth grade. And I'm glad I did and didn't play when I was younger because I probably would just tripped over the ball. And then to hear about specifically when you talk about eighth grade being cut, what a story that is for young people. I got cut from my eighth grade team and I played in the NBA and I'm a hall of fame uh, college basketball player that I played. I was a hall of famer for Arizona state. I had a successful uh, NBA career and I got cut from my eighth grade team. So it talks about never giving up for ultimately when you talk about God having a plan for you. And interesting when you talk about your brother, was he as tall as he, you were or not? He was your yeah, older brother. Yeah. He, he was my oldest brother at 16. Uh, I ended up being my dad at six, seven. My mom was, uh, and again, all of them have passed away. But um, my brother was 6'10", my, my dad was 6'7", and my mom was about 5'9". And um, so it was, uh, you know, I, genetically, I, I was very fortunate. And then things worked out where, you know, I kept growing, developing, and then I was a late bloomer. I have a son that's 6'9 and a half, that's 19, and I have a daughter that's six four to seventeen. She just got a full ride scholarship to Louisiana Tech. Oh, that's great. My son, yeah, my son is gonna take a little bit of time because he's still growing and he's having all these issues with his body, his knees, shin splints, mm-hmm. ankle. His ankles are uh, um, are bothering him. So um, I'm gonna start trying. To, I was overseas for seven years, so doing this crucial developmental stage I wasn't around so now I'm back here in San Diego he's in Chino Hills California and we're trying to um, uh, work a schedule out so I can start really working with him and get him where he needs to be even at 19 it's never too late is your career was as a late bloomer you didn't go right to the to division one college basketball you were you started in junior college uh, experience so that, yeah but I was a yeah. But I was a player now. Come on now. I mean, yeah, you, you were a player. Yeah, you were a player. But <laughs> oh, hey, we hey, we won. We we lost in the final championship of the NCAA tournament. I led the uh, the NCAA ENJCAA uh, in rebounding and block shots my freshman year. So I, I was all. I didn't know how to play, but I knew how to shot uh, block shots and and rebound. And, uh, you know, I had a presence. So that that was half of the battle. And that's the important thing. And, and they saw the value of you. A lot of coaches don't see the, the scoring component, but how important the intangibles of your, the, the star player is not going to go in the lane because you're going to just swat it away. That's what I did exactly. all the time when the ball can't and, and when and the ball's up and it's time to rebound it, everyone else is more focused on scoring. I'm getting the rebound. I'm getting that defensive rebound, outlining it out and getting the ball right out to the guards. So they get the Well how you how you think I lasted seventeen years in the NBA? Right. I figured out I figured out a role that I said if I run the floor 
if I block shot and defend and um, and rebound, that I can make a living at it and do all the dirty work. Exactly. That's that spring. And that's how I lasted 17 years. And, uh, I mean, it, it, so I think kids should understand that, you know, um, when they're when they're when they're growing, and I always say this because I work with a lot of kids now. Work on your fundamentals. Definitely. When you're young, I like to work with the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders because you never know when they're gonna have that growth spurt, and they just you know it's like Anthony Davis. You know he was a guard, and he was working on all his ball handling skills and all his skill set. And then he had a major growth spurt. So I always encourage them to work on the fundamentals so that when it's all said and done, you know, you you are a well-rounded basketball player and not one-dimensional. And that's what the, the high school coaches are going to look for. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, politics played in the younger grades. Once you get to high school, the high school coach has got to win. And if he sees that yeah. intangibles that they have, basically it goes through. I start thinking about, you know, a little later for my kid, my, my boy, my boy is really young. So I have two boys. One's going to be a guard for sure, but the other one's really tall. And so, but my wife's five foot. So I only got a couple tall people of my five kids. I have Alton, but I really look at specifically enough that, that basically Getting them involved, learning the fundamentals is more important than, you know, really polishing the game to the point where you're just competing. It's more about learn these skills now because lots of players don't have the fundamentals once they get to high school. They they have one – they're one-dimensional. You can't yeah. be that kind of player. And you look at it – watch college basketball. Look at these kids yeah. and how they don't understand specific things that you and I are playing. I know I played 10 years uh, later. I mean, I, I mean, maybe – 13, I, I got to remember the kind of thing. I played college ball one year at, at McDaniel College, which is West, was Western Maryland then, and was going to play at LaRoche. But I played for in the, in the WPIL, and uh, we had a starting lineup of 6'9", six, 6'4", six, six, uh, six, uh, lineup. That was pretty big for high school basketball at that time. But the interesting interesting story. So, Alton, you go ju- Juco, but you played with some interesting players, didn't you, on that team in junior college? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, we went always to the finals and lost by one point. Then um, then I really played with some great players when I transferred to Arizona State. Uh, we had five first-rounders on that team. My senior year, we ended up 24-3. and three. I played with Byron Scott. I played with Lafayette Lever. I played with Sam Williams. Uh, of course, myself. And there was another guy by the name of uh, Kirk Nymphius. I remember, all, I remember, I remember all of them. Nymphius played, I think, for uh, for the Phoenix Suns at one point, didn't he? Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and the and the best player of all of us ended up getting hurt, and he was the number one high school player coming uh, out of California. His name was Johnny Nash, and so we just had a Peretta, just a. a uh, of, of guys, and, and once we start signing and guys, one guy wants to come because another guy started coming, and then we had a really good coach that, were, that was a really, really great recruiter, and he put together an unbelievable. We had a pro team, man. Our front line was 7 feet, 6'10", and 6'9", and then we had Byron Scott, 
and Lafayette Lever oh uh, at the guard. Two unbelievable players. Fat Lever, one of my favorite players of all time. I'm a huge Denver Nugget fan, and we all know how great Byron Scott was with the Lakers. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and, and, and then you have Alton in the middle. But how – so that Arizona team probably was one of the best Arizona teams ever played in college basketball, yeah. right? Would you say yeah. – Did you? how far did yeah, you guys we, go in the tournament? We lost in the Sweet 16, and, you know, that – you know, we we uh, it was so crazy because we were a number one, a number two oh, seed, wow. and we ended up playing Kansas and Wichita State. So it was essentially a home game for Kansas, right? And you know that that just was our demise. And you know, in the NCAA tournament, it's one and done. If you have an off game, you know it's over, and uh, that was very disappointing. A very disappointing situation. Uh, But during my college experience, like you said before, I played in the Olympics, which was great. We didn't get a chance to go compete in Russia, but I went through the whole process. It was a great experience for me. It was a stepping stone to really show me how to work and, and really compete at a high level. And then once I got drafted in the NBA, they took it even to a higher level because I always been tall and I was kind of just the game was easy for me, easy for me. But, um, you know, once you get on that level, man, yes. you got to come with it. You got to come with it because there's a lot of great players. Exactly. And you played behind uh, Bob Lanier, who's a legend, yeah. legendary player when you played at the Bucks. And were the Bucks pretty good? Remind me about that. I mean, I was a fan of yours because I remember playing, I think there was like some, not a video game, it was uh, like a card game of some sort in basketball at that time when I was a kid. And I remember you and uh, switching you up in Lanier in that game where you, like, I forget what it, the name of it was where you flip over a card and it's a three-pointer or a block shot or whatever. That's how I remember <laughs> you really well. <laughs> Just look at <laughs> not, I was his heir apparent. When they drafted me, Bob was at the end of his career. And so they brought me in, and he was my mentor for about four years. And then once he retired, I took over that position. And, uh, you know, uh, we had – during those days, Milwaukee was the – the uh, top team in the Central Division. Chicago had gotten it together, even though they had Michael Jordan, but they didn't have any people around it. And that's when the East was really tough. Right now, the East, the East uh, is a joke. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, they got bad teams there, and so we won that division uh, five straight years. And always used to lose in the Eastern Conference Finals to either Boston or either the Sixers. And the year that we swept Boston, I think it was in 83, 80, 84, right. something like that. I said, we finally <laughs> have gotten over the hump. Now, I think it was eight. I don't remember. It was the year that Philly won a championship. Yes. So I'm like, we finally got over the hump. And then we had to play Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they eventually won the championship. So we just couldn't get a break. We couldn't buy a break, man. <laughs> they, need to, they, need, they need to put that in Wikipedia, Alton. When I'm reading up on Wikipedia, I remember now the Bucks and in that time you had Sidney Moncrief, right? Who the who was yeah. the, who, what was that the team of the Bucks? We then? had yeah, we had we had a younger version because once they 
made some trades and brought in because uh, we when I got to that Marcus Johnson, Junior Bridgman was an unbelievable six man, uh, and they had um, Harvey Ketchum. So then they won. Well, Harvey's to get a young. I, I love Harvey. I had him on my show. He's a fantastic, great guy, Harvey. Yeah, for sure. Great, great guy. So they wanted to get younger. So they made a trade with the Clippers. We got Terry Cummins, Ricky <laughs> Pierce, and Craig Hodge. I remember that trade. Oh yeah, yes. yes. Oh yeah. So then that uh, infused some younger players, and we, we had a good mix of, you know, Bob was kind of at the end of his career, and those guys had, they hadn't passed their peak, but they were getting to the point where, you know, if they were going to get some value out of them, they need to make a trade. So we got that, we, they brought that team in, and, I mean, that's when we really started rolling, man. And that's when we started winning the Central Division. And we were always in the Eastern Conference Finals. And you did, but you never got that extra stop. So a lot of times in your career, if we look back to it, Sweet 16 with Arizona State, you have the opportunity to go to the Olympics and and beat the Russians and didn't have the and didn't get that opportunity. And then you come so close to the NBA championship and looking yeah. back, here's a question. Do you, do you, as athletes were so competitive, do you, do you still look back to that and are, are sad or disappointed about those experiences, not getting those things that you really want, had dreams when you were younger? Well, you know what you, you, at some point you have to get over it and move on. I mean, it was, pretty devastating at the time just uh you know when you when you're in the moment and it happens it's going to take it's going to sting you a little bit but then after you realize hey you know we tried our best uh the best team won uh i i, I don't have any regrets i do still feel unfulfilled because i feel like you know we had opportunities and in life, only thing you can do is have opportunities. Coaches can put you in a in a position to win. We just weren't able to get it done. It just wasn't the day, the uh, the days of the series for us to win to go to the next level. And so then that's why they traded me to Seattle for Jack Sigma. They thought they bring in Jack, and Jack could get them over the hump. And uh, then I went out to uh, San Diego. I mean, I went out to Seattle, yeah. and and we ended up doing the same thing because that's when the Lakers were really good, and we we upset Dallas. That we were at number our first year, we were at number eight seeded team, and I had got hurt the first series, so we beat Dallas, and then we won our second round game, and then of course. The mighty Lakers showtime was waiting on us. Oh, yes. So then, <laughs> so then we had to deal with that. I played for the Sonics for three and a half years, and every year we had to deal with the Lakers. Right. And so, you had so, Dale Ellis on that team, right? Dale was on that team. I had Dale, Xavier McDaniels, oh, Dale Street, yeah. Oldham Pollies, Derek McKee, you know, Nate McMillan, uh, X. X Men, Xavier. So we had we had a really good young team that again 
we had, just like with all the Detroit and um, Seattle, when Michael was playing, I had to deal with Bird and I had to deal with Magic. So that's why we couldn't get over that hump with those teams. Exactly. Wow. Uh, I wish I could talk. We could reminisce forever. Ultimately, we have to talk about life after basketball. I know you played some more and you had that 17 year career, but I want to jump right into ultimately life after. How did you how did you think you're going to handle those things, especially finally being done with basketball, meaning playing after 17 successful years and as a professional? Well, the biggest thing you do, you plan ahead. You know, when I was in in the NBA, I made a decision, and I made a promise to my mother that I was going to get my degree. And and it took me 10 years, man. You won't believe this. From, you know, taking time off, going through injuries, going through divorces, having babies, doing all that. But I stayed persistent, and there was a lady uh, that was over the MBA uh, continuing education program. Her name is Christina Versari. She really inspired me to get my degree. So I stuck with it. Then she is the same person that right. contacted me when I was uh, home from the Philippines uh, to come and speak at a commencement speech. I went there and I spoke, and then she offered me a, 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 a job there to run the continuing education program, same similar program she did in the NBA, but this was to work with former professional athletes and to continue their uh, degree and to, and to get their degree completion. And so that's what I did for a year. Um, but again, I, I liked it, but the school was not accredited, and she's working on that now. So it made it hard to get retired players. They had to pay right. for stuff. And so I moved on from that, but it was a great stepping stone. Then I went on to um, BMW, and I worked for them for a year. Uh, I was a fleet manager. I mean, I'm sorry. I was a fleet director, did that for a year. Again, then like the micromanagement part of of corporate America, you know, and uh, uh, I just decided that that's something that I didn't want to do. But, I mean, I made a lot of contacts. I know a lot of people. And now I am strictly doing basketball and working with kids. I have a a 5013C nonprofit, and I'm going into inner cities. I'm going to La Jolla. Fantastic. and we're doing clinics. We're doing, uh, and it's called uh, Athlete Initiative. And you know, we're we're we got a lot of different components with health, education, basketball, and that's what I'm spending my full time right now with, and and uh, and loving it. This is the happiest I've been in a long time because I finally found something that I can give back you know, and help kids and, and, and really make a difference in their lives. And I'm also affiliated with the San Diego uh, Police Department. We have an organization there called Salt Pal, where it's a, the diversion program to help kids instead of them going to jail, 
we have they have to take a program that we can re- try to re- uh, rehabilitate them and to make different choices. I'm also a part of ALS, which is a Luke Garrison disease, and helping people with this uncurable disease. Uh, and I'm a part. I'm a board member for that, and I'm also a board member with the athletic initiative. You're so right. what? Yeah. What I've done is said I'm just going to get myself involved in the community, give back, yeah, that's great. work with kids, and try to help people. And, and I am the happiest I've been in years. So, I mean, it's very interesting, Alton, because the, what you did is you're paying it forward. You saw your success to play 17 years in the NBA, getting to meet so many interesting people, get to travel all over the world, that you want to give back. You see the communities where the kids are hurting. They need a, that great mentor. They need that great role model. You go in there, and you help them, and you tell them stories, and you let them know. Yeah. Life was not always yeah. easy, even though I was an NBA player. Life gets right. tough. you got to keep going. I lost my brother, yeah. I had this, that, and the other. And then that connection bond comes, and then before you know it, you are changing people's lives. And that is such well, a tremendous story, Alton, for sure. And real quick, I have I, I haven't did the prison tour. I went to two prisons and spoke to them, and I got invited to one in Atlanta and one in t- Tennessee. And I went there and, you know, to try to speak life, give hope, and let let them know that, you know, there's people out there that care about them. These guys have paid their debt to society. Some of the guys have been in jail for 23 years, and they have really changed a lot, and I was just encouraging them to stay on that straight and narrow, and they had a different lot of programs that, that I was talking to them about that they are in in prison. And a lot of them are at the last stages of before they're going to get out. The main thing, my message was, look, prepare now. Fantastic. Don't wait until the end and start trying to figure out what you want to do because there's a lot of opportunities out there, and uh, there's a lot of organizations will give you a second chance. And you have paid debt to society. Now it's time to pay debt to your families because you've been away from them for so long. That's great. Okay, Alton, is there a place we can find information on you? Where can we uh, people find information on some of the stuff you talked about? Where's the best place to go? Well, I'll tell you what. Can I email that to you? I, I have your email address, and and, and uh, I have not your email, but your I can text you all that information if you would like. Or I can email you, or you can send me your email address, and then I can get that to you. Fantastic. But, but uh but again, the organization is called Athlete Initiative, and and uh, there's a lot of components to it. So I, I would like to send you the information, and then maybe at some later date or to follow up with this conversation, and I'll send it out to you today, and you can kind of give people information on how to contact me and, and look at all the different things that we're doing in the San Diego community. All right, well, Alton, good talking to you. Best of luck and uh, and great success in all the things you're doing and uh, paying it forward. And uh, it was an interesting conversation, so thanks for calling. All right. Take Thank care. you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You're listening okay. to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. 
We're back to the Total Tutor Show, powered by the Beach Lifestyle Celebrity Segment, TotalTutor.net for more information, Twitter, Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, and uh, I, and again, uh, LinkedIn, Neil Haley. And I'm so excited because I created another series, a monthly series uh, regarding Roberto Clemente. Share stories about playing with Roberto from hopefully two of the World Series champion teams. The Pirates' fantastic season, this magical season. I said I wanted to keep on going, so I have reached out uh, and have found some really awesome people. But first, I want to welcome the program uh, producer, writer of the Clemente story, 21 Clemente stories, the baseball's last hero, Richard Rossi. Richard, thanks for calling. Oh, you're most welcome, Neil. I'm just—I have to pinch myself. I'm so excited here to be on the same show with Al Oliver, who, uh, <laughs> you know, him and Clemente were—I grew up in Pittsburgh, as you as you know, Neil. And so, um, Al, Al played. Um, Al, you played. Basically, I was born in '63, and for me, the magical baseball years were were from the time I started school, kindergarten around around '68. And when I became a teenager around 77, I kind of drifted away from baseball, got interested in girls and in music and other things. But in that period where I was so focused on baseball, um, Al played for the Pirates during that whole period from like 68 to 77. So um, it seems to me when I look back that Al was just with the Pirates during all the great times, you know, of my growing up the 71 series. And, you know, it's in, to me like, Another hero that doesn't always get what he deserves because I mean Al hit over 300 career average. I mean that's that's elite athlete right there. That's that's fantastic. So I'm so honored to be here. Well, I want to welcome Al Oliver. I see how excited Richard is, and Richard's such a fantastic guy. Again, uh, he he should definitely you got to check out his film. It's doing so uh, successfully on on Amazon and stuff. And anything about Clemente, because Clemente was one of my favorite players of all time. And Al Oliver, after checking out his numbers. I was blown away, Richard. I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I want to welcome the program All-Star, National League Rookie of the Year, uh, 22-year veteran baseball player, Al Oliver. Al, thanks for calling. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. You know, so far, you know, I've heard all positive things. And whenever you mention the name Roberto Clemente, you know, it has to be good. And I'm just glad that someone finally decided to make a movie about this special guy because he was a special man. And um, I have not seen the movie, but I could just imagine um, from what I've heard from a few of my friends in New York that it's something that I have to see. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd be happy to send you one as a, as a gift, a small gift for all the joy you gave me growing up, Al. So if, off air, if you want to give like your um, mailing address and number to um, Neil, he could relay it to me, and I'd be happy to get you one on Amazon and just have it sent to you because it's a very small way of saying thank you for the, the joy you gave me in those, you know, uh, I think it was about nine years or so that you played for the box, the Pittsburgh Pirates when I was uh, growing up there. Well, thank you, Richard. I greatly appreciate that. And believe me, I've always said this. If the fans enjoyed me playing as much as I enjoyed playing, then we both broke even. <laughs> uh, so, Al, let's go exp- your first experience meeting Roberto Clemente. When you uh, uh, joined the Pirates and your first experience with Roberto. I, I kind of want to go into experience. Yeah. yeah. My first experience was in um, 
1966 when I was on the roster and I went to spring training. And at that time, you know, we had spring training in Fort Myers, Florida. And, of course, you know, you grew up with um, someone like Roberto Clemente because he always got his bubblegum card. And then all of a sudden, here I am in a major league camp with uh, the great Roberto Clemente. And Clemente was very intimidating. You know, when you were a young kid like I was, 19 years old at that time, and now you're in the same locker room, although we were kind of in the back at that time, you know, the rookies, that's the way it went. But I really didn't talk to him much uh, outside of just sticking to him. And he was one of those guys that when he walked, you know, he walked with this confidence and and being proud of who he was. I mean, I picked that up right off the bat. And the reason why I picked it up right off the bat, because he reminded me of my dad. My dad was like that, very proud man. You know, he walked with his head up and just proud of who he was. And and that was my first experience with him was in spring training. You know, not knowing, say, two years later, at the end of 1968, that I would be called up to the Pirates and become a teammate of his. Interesting, Richard. Uh, and again, we're just going to go back and forth types questions of his experiences with Clemente. So you can follow up question or ask another question to Al. Okay. Okay, Richard. That sounds good to me. Um, yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting comparison, as you know, to your father, because I think I remember you in another interview saying that you were. Um, when you entered the majors, my my dad died recently, you know, pretty recently, and it threw me into a tailspin for a while mentally. And I had, I had heard, I think you say before that when you came up was about the time that your dad, who reminded you of how many died, so you really must have been that must have been such a time emotionally, both the highs and the lows. I would imagine, Al. It was, and when I look back at it, you know, I just wonder, you know, how I went through it so smoothly. You know, I was the oldest child. And, of course, you know, at that time, you know, I was 20 years old, and my sister was a year and five months younger, and my brother, of course, was 12 years old. And, of course, I had lost my mother when I was 11 years old. So I was playing in Columbus, Ohio that year in AAA. And so I would come down to visit Dad because he was sick at that time. You know, he had worked at the brickyard, and all of a sudden, silicosis, that dust from the um, brickyard had gotten into his system. And he's such a physical specimen, mm-hmm. and to see him go downhill the way he did, you know, it was kind of uh, a downer. But one thing about Dad, you know, he, he never complained. Um, he always had a lot of confidence in me. And I remember him telling me one time when I came to visit him back home, he said, he said, son, the only thing I want you to do is take care of your brother and your sister. And that was his way of telling me to um, just be prepared because he may not be around long. But, you know, I left my dad's funeral going to become a major leaguer. After the funeral, I got in my car and drove to Pittsburgh to become a major leaguer. So I really didn't have a lot of time to grieve, but I felt that um, he was a very spiritual person, and I felt that he was in good hands with God. And I think that's the reason why I was able to cope with that and um, move on with my life, because I had to. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Al, so basically, once you arrived in Pittsburgh, uh, would you yes. say Clemente was the kind of pe- person that you could approach, uh, very easy to approach? Again, we all know <laughs> when, when we work with different people, is it somebody, hey, hey, Roberto, how are you? Or is it more like you wait to be approached by Roberto? Well, 
when, as a young player, you're kind of hesitant. You don't know how he's going to receive you. And in my case, he came to me, which it was a big sigh of relief because I didn't have the nerve at that time to really go express myself. But once we began to talk, I knew right then that we had a lot in common. And what it was, it was very similar things that we had in common. We always like to talk about life. You know, uh, even in my interviews, I would uh, rather talk about life. And I always put life into uh, the questions that I had to answer. And I know at that time, you know, sports writers, at times, really didn't want to hear about life. They wanted just to get a story. And so I had to give my story on life and also what has transpired and what they had asked me to give them. And so we were very similar in that regard, you know, from a personality standpoint. Don Vera, of course, his wife had always said the same thing. We were very similar personality-wise and by no means as a ball player. <laughs> I definitely take a backseat to him as a ball player. But he reminded me of my dad. He was intimidating, but once you went and sat down and talked with him, he was very engaging, he was very positive, and the one thing I always liked about him, he wouldn't tell you anything just to build you up. He wouldn't lie to you. And I'll be honest with you, you know, after losing my dad, I remember him coming to me in 1970, and he told me, because, you know, I was, I was kind of disappointed, uh, because I was being platooned, because I had never been platooned before. And he came over to me and told me, just stay in shape, keep doing what you're doing, and one day you will be one of the best players to ever play this game. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And and coming from him was very key in my career, because I didn't have my dad to lean on, and I really didn't have anyone else to lean on. And so after he told me that, I said to myself, well, and then this guy sees something in me. Although I had a lot of confidence, but yet still you can have a lot of confidence, but sometimes you need somebody that you can go to, someone who can trust you. And Roberto was that kind of guy. And he's the one that's responsible for me being able to make the transition from first base to center field. Wow. Because I, I had gone to San Juan to play winter ball in 1970 and to see if I could play center field. And once uh, he gave the Pirates the go-ahead that he could play center field, that's when they traded Maddie Alou. Interesting. So he meant yeah. a lot. It is, because the way my dad led me as a human being, Roberto Clemente led me wow. as a major leaguer. And Roberto, again, is my favorite player of all time. And that's when I found out uh, the way I met Richard. Very interesting, Al. Uh, just a quick short story. I know uh, uh, the person who played Roberto Clemente in the movie's girlfriend, uh, Siobhan Stoddard, two-time Olympian from Jamaica. So I needed a Jamaican athlete to introduce me to Richard Rossi. And I'm saying Richard Price so thanking himself because of our relationship and how we've promoted the movie and things like that. What other things, Richard, would you, questions would you ask? I mean, so far you kind of portrayed a lot that in the movie that Clemente was such a great teacher. Wouldn't you agree, Richard? And I'm sure that you want to follow up with another question with Al regarding that. Well, I really love, Al, what you said about how he, you know, blessed you and believed in you. It reminds me of the old, you know, biblical stories, how the patriarch would bless his son, Abraham, would speak something over Isaac. And, and 
you know, he had kind of a old-world, old-fashioned sensibility in many ways. I always show in the film how he, you know, went to Vera's father to ask uh, his permission to date her and that sort of thing. So he he really had a dignity and a class about him. And yes. um, I guess, I don't, you know, I can only speculate if he were alive today, he wouldn't be thrilled at all with, you know, the guys that are taking shortcuts and cheating because guys like you, Al, and, you know, Roberto's 3,000 hits, and Al, uh, you know, is just shy of uh, 3,000 hits, I believe, in his career, that you guys mm-hmm. did it the old-fashioned way. I mean, you guys really earned it. And, I mean, what do you think he would think of, the, of baseball today, Al? I know that's speculating. We don't really know. But do you have, what, what do you think he'd feel about today? I know the one thing that he would frown on would be the lack of hustle. Hmm. Because one thing about Roberto, he did hustle. Um, we won many games just on his hustle. And we as young players, to see him hustle down at first base line on ground balls and high choppers, there was no way in the world that we as younger players should not do the same. Hmm. That's the one thing that I think that he would have frowned on. Another thing that he probably would have frowned on was um, – the outfielder is not hitting the cutoff man. Uh, he was a fundamentalist. He beat in fundamentals. And another thing is these guys are taking too many pitches, and especially fastballs right down the middle of the plate. Mm-hmm. And they do, they do a lot of guessing at the plate rather than seeing the ball and hitting the ball. Those are some of the things that I can see him talking about today. And what he was real big on, was giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. He would like to see more players today give back to the community, more players signing autographs for the fans who are responsible for these players making this big money today because they have to pay to come to those turnstiles and see players play. But the players, for whatever the reason, will not sign autographs on a consistent oh, basis. Geez with the fans. Exactly. And now I think it's changed so much. Even when I grew up in the uh, 80s and 90s, it, the 80s, it was much easier to get autographs and wait at the game and get big name players to sign your autographs. But now they're looking to make the big money. All right, we get back more with Al Oliver and Richard Rossi and uh, the Clemente stories are continuing. And uh, I came up with this and I, I'm just like a kid in the candy store. And I'm sure Richard is as well hearing Al talk about Roberto. You're listening to Total Tutor Show powered by the Beach Lifestyle Celebrity segment and we'll be back in just a moment we're back to the total tutor show powered by the beach lifestyle celebrity segment totaltutor.net for more information twitter total tutor neil s haley facebook beachlifestyle.com simplyg.com i have many different websites but i'm with al oliver all-star uh and much much more i believe he should be a hall of famer Pittsburgh Pirate, and Richard Rossi, baseball's last hero, 21 Clemente stories. He is the producer and writer, and he's seen such unbelievable growth of the show, of the movie and everything, and it's getting out there, and people like Al are learning about it through our connections, thanks to LinkedIn. And Al, I think when you talked about the community, and do you feel that baseball in general, and I'm sure Roberto, when you were saying this, but I wanted to kind of add to this whole community base, baseball is not as well involved in the community as, let's say, the Pittsburgh Steelers are. And what do you think the reason why baseball doesn't really have that great community uh, outreach, especially, let's say, different sports teams compared to the days with Roberto and stuff? What do you think the reason is? Well, I, I feel that, number one, that 
basketball and football has done an outstanding job, first of all, as far as public relations by way of TV, uh, social media. Um, baseball kind of has stood still. And for some reason, they, in baseball, uh, and I know they have these kind of players, they don't have the, the players that can get out there on a national commercial and project a great image uh, toward baseball. Um, they seem to be lacking in that area. And I know I can speak, you know, especially for uh, Afro-Americans. Uh, our young kids do not play baseball anymore basically because they really don't have anyone uh, to relate to. You know, just like when I was growing up, you know, here in Southern Ohio, I looked at Cincinnati, and, of course, they had Frank Robinson and Beta Pinson. And they really have not have not gone out into uh, the social media like they should. And I really feel that if they would see more people that look like you, then I think they would have more interest. Because I have two grandsons, uh, 16 and 15, and they play all sports. But I just really believe that um, the teams themselves, and I'll use the Pirates as an example, the Pirates do not bring back enough of the players in the 70s. Yeah. Because when you look at the, when you look at the Pirates, you could think of the 70s. Exactly. And, of course, naturally the early, the early 90s. But we don't get the opportunity to come back to Pittsburgh like we want to because the fans in Pittsburgh do not forget you. I, go, I come out to Pittsburgh, and it's almost like I never left there. And uh, my last year was 1977. And I can still go into a restaurant, and all thing I hear is scoop. And whenever <laughs> I hear scoop, I know it's a Pittsburgher. Because where I was in Germany about five, six years ago, and I heard someone say scoop. <laughs> I t- and I said, that has to be a Pittsburgher. But, and lo and behold, it, it was. But I think that's what has to happen. The, the major league teams have to bring back the players that was associated with winning. Absolutely. And I think that would be a major step. And help and then make sure they are still part of it as liaisons to the team, kind of like the Super Steelers, totally uh, Super Steelers of the 70s. So uh, going back to the whole Clemente stories, what we were able to see in Richard's film is one thing is definitely helping the community. One thing it talked about was 1960s World Series that Richard touched upon in his movie. After the great hit by Mazeroski, Clemente didn't mm-hmm. celebrate with the rest of the players, Richard, and kind of explain that, and then uh, I'm sure you have another question for Al. Yeah, well, he um, they were wondering where Roberto was, and um, he was among the uh, fans in the streets signing autographs, celebrating. Um, <laughs> you know, he would be there till the last autograph was signed. Um, you know, and that was the wonderful era back then, um, like Al was referring to. I, I played hooky and would sit in the bleachers out in the general mission dollar seats there and sneak into the lock. You know, I would go down around the stadium to where the players' entrance was, and players would drive up, and, you know, without exception, uh, they would see, the, you know, me as a kid outside the locker room. They would stop, sign an autograph, and, um, you know, um, I think, like Al said, um, it's depressing when, you know, the Pirates went through a streak of the longest losing, uh, you know, record in the history of sports. Um, they had a great, great year this year, thankfully. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I totally can speak as a Pittsburgh that Al's right. I mean, 
I, I kind of escape into the glory days. Making this film for me was a way to feel those wonderful feelings, you know, when Al was out there in center field and, and Roberto and Wright and, you know, Bob Robertson on first and then that winning team, you know, um, that they had, Hebner and Sangan and Blast, all the rest. That for a fan bringing, you know, attention to these guys, that gave us that great run, and they stayed together, you know, too. I mean, yes. Like Al said, Al was with uh, the Bucks for, for nine years, and, and during that period, I mean, yeah, there are a few changes, of course, but that core lineup, you know, of Starzl and Oliver and Clemente and, and, and those core guys, for me, as a kid growing up, stayed together a lot more, too, and, and gave us a feeling of a team. And, um, you know, I don't begrudge the free agency and the athletes um, – making money but um does it does it seem to you looking back out like um there was more of a longevity of a core team in in baseball more so than today i mean do you think that's the case it was and and just like the um you know the players that you're talking about um uh, the team say in 1971 a lot of us came up to the minor league system and we played together in the minor leagues and we got to know each other and we basically came to the Pirates in the Major League at the same time. And we just blended in so well with Stargell, Mazeroski, and Clemente, and, of course, Steve Bass at that time, you know, was basically the ace of the pitching staff. And so that's why we were able to win, because we were just as confident in ourselves as they were in, in their selves. And that's the reason why we were able to win in the 70s. You know, we, we won those divisional championships. But you said something that's very key in this movie, and I'm glad you brought it out. Where was he celebrating uh, the world championship? Well, that's a side that would surprise a lot of people because they just didn't know. And these kind of things about Roberto was never written. Uh, it was always talk, they were talking about him being a hypochondriac, in which he was not, because hypochondriacs just don't get 3,000 hits. <laughs> and, and, and hypochondriacs just don't play like he could play. But I'm glad that side of him was brought out because if you look at that, how did he leave us? Doing something for somebody else. Yes. And he did it from his heart. And when you do things from your heart, you wake up in the morning. You decide to go in the hospital and visit people. You know, you don't call the news media. You go on your own. And these are things that he did throughout his career that people just didn't know. And I am so glad that somebody finally has put out a movie. I heard a lot of reasons why there wasn't a movie earlier. They say, well, nobody could throw like him. No one could run down the right field line and spin and throw. Nobody could hit like him. Well, all those things are true. But finally, there is a movie. And I just hope that as many people can see this movie, although it's been a long time since he's been gone, they would, this will add on to his legacy once they see this movie. Absolutely, Al. And uh, you answer questions about his unbelievable talent. We've talked about the community. What would you like to share about Roberto that many people here do not know about Roberto that in your experiences and being with him? The one thing that I will always remember about him, he was for real. There are so many um, players and people in our society will tell you certain things just to make you feel good. But Roberto, yes, he was a feel-good person. He he definitely wanted a person to feel good. 
but he wouldn't lie to news media. Uh, he was the greatest diplomat in the world when it came down to answering questions to the news media. He told it the way that it was. He spoke from his heart. And as a writer and a person of the news media, I would want someone to speak from their heart and not from their mouth. And that's the thing that that will always be stamped and edged in my mind is that Roberto did things from the heart and not from his mouth as far as speaking. And uh, that's the thing that I will always remember about him. Uh, you know, they weren't ready for him, you know, early, especially early in his career, you know, with his comments. I know someone had a question asked him one time I heard, you know, they asked him who was the best player, uh, Kim or Willie Mays. See, that's an unfair question to ask Roberto. You know, I'm 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 kind of surprised whoever the writer asked that question. I'm surprised that he wasn't fired. But you know, you can't put people on the spot like that. And knowing Roberto, he thought that he was the best. And I would say to this day, Roberto Clemente did not have to take a backseat to no player that I ever saw. Wow. And I played against the best ones, Mays, Aaron. They all did things differently. And I say this, you know, if you ask Dusty Baker, he would say Hank Aaron. If Bobby Bonds was still living, he would say Willie Mays. Well, you're speaking to Al Oliver today, and I say Roberto Clemente. All right. when, you speak of great, when you speak of greatness, it comes down to a matter of choice. All right, Richard, we have one more question, and you get one more question for Al Oliver. I'm sure you had a thousand of them in your head the last week thinking about this. Because, I, again, I, I was uh, if, if, if I was speaking, I remember Al in a way, but when I was a fan in the 70, 79, he already left. So what question mm-hmm. do you have for Al Oliver about Roberto Clemente, Richard? Well, you know, I just want to say that, that Al Oliver has, you know, the same humanitarian qualities I've seen from people I know in Ohio, and he's a humble person and, you know, doesn't toot his own horn. I mean, the the Bible says something in Proverbs about, you know, let another man's lips praise thee and not thine own, but Al has done a lot of community work himself in Ohio, and I know from people in that community um, that... You know, the reason we call the film about Clemente, uh, Baseball's Last Hero, is it was his heart, like Al said. It was beyond his uh, baseball abilities. He had the heart. And, you know, mm-hmm. Al has, has has quietly and humbly done a lot of those things, too. So um, I don't know if you're comfortable speaking on this, Al, but um, do you mind saying some of the things that you've done? Because I know you've, in terms of the community, because you've done a lot for um, the less fortunate. I, I know that from, you know, just people that um, I have a lot of contacts in Ohio as well. That You know, you've yeah. done the same type of thing that Roberto did in the community. Well, basically what I do now, um, I am a motivational speaker. I do travel all over the world uh, doing motivational speaking. I am in, uh, involved with the um, Kiwanis. I'm a Kiwanian. Mm-hmm. I'm also I serve on, on the Children's Services Board. I serve on a mural board here um, in, in Portsmouth. You know, we have some nice murals down here. It's unbelievable what, what they've done. Um, uh, as far as kids are concerned, you know, I put on camps. Uh, I serve as a deacon, uh, ordained deacon as, as well. And I, and I enjoyed that scripture that you were throwing out there. I said, you, I was starting to say amen. But, um, <laughs> but anything that 
people need uh, here in Sally County or any way uh, I can be of any service, you know, I've always been there, and and they know it. And I think that's the best way that I can put it. I am a servant. That's great. And uh, I'm a servant of the people, and I'm a servant of God. Fantastic. Al, where can we find information on you and learn more about you? And so our listeners out there, if they want to have you come out and speak to them, an organization, or ultimately even all autograph signing, especially when we're, what's happening now with the resurgence of the Pirates, where can we find info? Right. Well, I have a site. Uh, you just basically go to Al Oliver, and, and that would take you, uh, com. that would take you right to my site. And that will give you the information in what you need. Fantastic. And, Richard, more information on you? Um, yeah, the Facebook site for the movie is facebook.com slash Clemente movie. Fantastic. You guys are awesome. Al, I'm going to have you back just to talk about your career, talk about the work in the community, and especially your story because I know you're looking to write a book. And, Richard? Look forward to next month's segment. So, guys, take care, and you were awesome. What a great segment, and I appreciate you taking all the time in the world to talk to me. I enjoy talking to you guys. All right. Cool. Uh, Me too. Me too. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Tutor Show, powered by the Beach Lifestyle Celebrity Segment, and we'll be back in just a moment.